0: Find historical blindness on most podcast players and platforms.
2: The Box of Oddities is now a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest-growing, highest-rated podcast app on both iOS and Android, where you can find all your favorite podcasts. You can listen to The Box of Oddities wherever you access your podcasts. But we hope you give CastBox a try. The curator is greatly pleased with CastBox. We think it's the best.
1: What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
2: The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected... As they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside
0: the box of oddities.
1: Hey! Is
0: that the trash? The trash truck? Yeah. I hear the garbage truck in the background. Yeah. That's one of the benefits of podcasting from your bedroom. (laughs) Wow.
1: Yep, we're pretty high tech here.
0: Hey, we got some great comments and um, emails this week. I'd like to read a couple of them to you. This one was on the iTunes page. Nine Inches 43 says, I first want to thank you for putting yourselves out there. Uh, the two of you and your intoxicating vibes are so nice to be part of each week. Aww. I also wish we c- it could be longer. Don't we all?
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that wasn't in there. I just ad-libbed. Uh, your voices portray even the nastiest of nasties in an overwhelmingly amount of intrigue that I look forward to each week and every episode with childlike vigor.
2: Aww.
0: The content is so on point to keep me wanting more on each and every episode. I love the banner that you guys have going throughout the catalog. Please never stop. I'm a bit concerned, though, that you don't provide any pictures of what you look like. <laughs> Elephant man, question mark. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> bearded lady question mark
1: I mean there is this one that shows up I with you got a whisker incredible regularity
0: don't be shy uh, we're all freaks in our own way your intro outro is wonderful your pace is perfect I always love the digressions during each presentation that displays a little bit of your personalities I love the box of oddities thank you nine inches forty three that was beautiful email at curator at the box of dot com this comes from Julie. I love you guys and have been a devoted follower since the beginning. The other day, I spent a good part of a full 10 minutes trying to find pictures of you guys online and got nothing. <laughs> I'm dying to know. In my mind, Cat has above-the-shoulder blonde hair and that 50s pinup girl style. Like those cat-eyed glasses and baby short bangs. She's average height. But short in comparison to Jethro, who's 6'4", beardy and biker-ish. <laughs> Am I close? Aww. Maybe I don't want to know because it would uh, make my whole box of oddities vision <laughs> crash down. But I do. <laughs> you guys are the best. I always recommend your podcast. Thank you, Julie. Um, as far as the descriptions go, I would say you were more on point with Cat. Uh, Not too far. I mean closer than the 64 right. bearded biker I
1: would say instead of biker think more like history professor you know with like the um the elbow patches
0: i have all the colors of uh, elbow patches this one is an angry nutmeg <laughs>
1: <laughs> nice Howard Moon reference.
0: <laughs> we also had somebody earlier uh, speculate that you looked like the mom in the pajama family YouTube video. Well, that's
1: right. The, um, the Holderness family.
0: And then I looked like Seth Rogen.
1: I mean, I think that one's pretty spot on. Is
0: that one, is that one spot on, you think? <laughs> okay. All right. We'll be posting pictures pretty soon. We're supposed to do a photo shoot sometime in the next few weeks, and uh, we're doing it at an abandoned mill.
1: <sighs> Possibly. I don't know. There's still so many options. I don't know.
0: We should do do some in front of Stephen King's house. I'm sure we'd really appreciate the loiterers out in front of his house. <laughs> well, that was another email we got this week. A lady said that, uh, that she traveled to Maine because of the podcast and actually stopped in Bangor and saw Stephen King's house. I didn't see that. You didn't see that one? No.
1: Anyway, yeah. I mean... It- I would highly recommend visiting Maine in general. Mm -hmm. It is, after all, vacation land.
0: That's what they call it.
1: Except for the people that live here.
0: All right, I go first. Are you ready for this one? Yes, please. All right. When the dreadful steel was plunged into my breast, cutting through veins and arteries and flesh and nerves, I needed no injunctions not to restrain my cries. I... I... began to scream... That lasted unintermittingly during the whole time of this incision. What? And I almost marvel that it rings not in my ears still.
1: Uh, I have many questions.
0: What must it have been like to undergo major surgery back in the day before they had any anesthesia? Ooh. Well, we have a first-hand account from 1812.
1: I don't know whether to be excited about this or not. Or
0: alarmed. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about the history of anesthesia. We're going to start at the beginning with a this case, which is not pleasant. It comes from a letter written by Frances Burney. And this account comes from her journals and her letters. She said she wanted six months after the operation to write the whole history and forced herself to recall the events uh, in a letter to her sister, Esther She describes how she felt pain in her right breast in August of uh, 1810, and she did not have it looked at. And I guess she was afraid, you know, which is a common thing.
1: It's true. But fear is no reason not to investigate.
0: Yes. Ultimately, she did go see a physician who said, we need to remove your breast. She resisted that for months and months. But the tumor continued to grow. It became more and more painful. At one point, she said, okay, I'm going to have this surgery. She didn't want to worry her husband. So she told her 16-year-old son, Alex, on the day of the operation to call him away on urgent business and then try to calm herself by scribbling them a note as she was preparing to go and have this surgery. But then, quote, seven men in black arrived, unannounced, five doctors, two students. Bernie was indignant. She shouted for her woman to stay. The one nurse remained with her. They strapped her down. They put a handkerchief over her face."
1: I don't understand. Was this because they thought she wouldn't go through with it or...
0: Yeah, I think so. I I I, mean,
1: still, that's, uh, I mean, beyond rude.
0: She said that, quote, she saw the glint of polished steel through the transparent cloth on her face.
1: She was a writer.
0: She was indeed. Here are some excerpts from her letter.
1: I can't tell if I'm excited or horrified.
0: When the dreadful steel was plunged into my breast, cutting through the veins, the arteries, the flesh, the nerves... I needed no injunctions not to restrain my cries. I began to scream that lasted unintermittingly during the whole time of the incision, and I almost marvel that it not in my ears still rings. So excruciating was the agony. When the wound was made and the instrument was withdrawn, the pain was undiminished, for the air that suddenly rushed into those delicate parts felt like a mass of minute but sharp forked pinnards that were tearing the edges of the wound. But when again I felt the instrument, described as a curve, cutting against the grain of my skin in my flesh, as if I may so say, while the flesh resisted in a manner so forcibly as to oppose the tire of the hand of the operator, who was forced to change from right to left hand, then, indeed, I thought I must have expired. I attempted no more to open my eyes. They felt as if they were hermetically shut, and so firmly closed— "'that the eyelids seemed indented into my cheeks. "'The instrument, this second time, withdrawn. "'I concluded the operation over, but no. "'Presently the terrible cutting renewed, "'and worse than ever, to separate the bottom, "'the foundation of this dreadful gland "'from the parts to which it adhered. "'Again, all description would be baffled, yet again, All was not over. Dr. Larry rested but his own hand, and I heard the voice of Dr. Larry. All others guarded a dead silence, in a tone nearly tragic. Desire everyone present to pronounce if anything more remained to be done. The general voice was yes, but the finger of Dr. Dubois, which I literally felt elevated over the wound, Though I saw nothing, and though he touched nothing, so indescribably sensitive was the spot, Uh. pointed to some further requisition, and after this they proceeded to remove fragments of the diseased breast tissue. And still, and still, Mr. Dubois demanded more and more. Not for days, not for weeks, but for months I could not speak of this terrible business without nearly again going through it. I could not think of it with impunity. I was sick. I was disordered by a single question. Even now, nine months after it's over, I have a headache from going on with this account. And this miserable account, which I began three months ago, at least I dare not revise nor read. The recollection is still too painful. She says that um, it was a long time healing, but she did heal. And she lived another 29 years after that.
1: Yeah, I imagine that, uh, obviously, very different circumstance. But um, years and years ago, I was in a car accident where it hit a deer. Mm -hmm. And it was on the interstate. I was going like 80 miles an hour. And the deer came out of nowhere. Terrifying. For months afterwards, when I would lay down to go to bed, the moment I closed my eyes, all I could see was that deer. Oh. Like it would just shoot in front of my eyes as though it were shooting in front of my car again. Oh, and no. it was just, oh, no. it was
0: horrible. That's a nightmare. And
1: that was just me in a car hitting a deer. I mean, that's I can't even imagine how traumatic that incident had to have been, especially where, you know, it was kind of like surprised upon her. And it. I imagine that she felt like she didn't have a choice. And that I can't. I can't even fathom the the stress that would stay with you, and I will. Yeah, talk horrible.
0: about post traumatic stress. Right,
1: and your and your breasts are such a personal mm. part of you. They're mm. just it's. Oh, that's horrifying.
0: Well, surgical techniques in this time were borderline barbaric. Anyway, I, it
1: doesn't even sound borderline. I mean, it sounds like they were just kind of digging around in there until yeah. it
0: looked good. I read a book about early anatomy study. Mm and early surgeries, in you know, about the Victorian period. And I'll go into this another time because we've been pretty graphic here already, but uh, the description of how they removed gallstones with no anesthesia.
2: Ooh.
0: <sighs> Not pretty. No. The first attempts at general anesthesia probably were herbal remedies administered in prehistory. Alcohol, of course, is the oldest known sedative. It was used in ancient Mesopotamia, thousands of years ago. Wow. The Sumerians are said to have cultivated and harvested opium in lower Mesopotamia as early as 3400 BC, though this has been disputed. The most ancient testimony, this is according to Wikipedia, concerning the opium poppy found to date was inscribed... In a uh, cuneiform script on a small white clay tablet at the end of the third millennium BC. Fast-forwarding to 1200 to 1500 AD, a potion called dwal or dwael was used as an anesthetic. It was um, an alcohol-based mixed mixture. Why can't I say mixture?
1: Mixture is a hard word.
0: Containing bile,
1: Ugh.
0: opium, lettuce, henbane, hemlock, and vinegar.
1: Lettuce lettuce really guys yeah it's
0: good for you surgeons roused them by rubbing vinegar and salt on their cheekbones one can find records of dual in uh, numerous literary sources including hamlet shakespeare's hamlet
1: i don't know i just feel like if you were coming at me with a scalpel and you said here's some lettuce uh, (laughs) um i'm just gonna die thanks
0: i'm just gonna have a salad in the early 1800s A guy named Hanaoka Seishu of Osaka was a Japanese surgeon. He had knowledge of Chinese herbal medicine as well as medical surgical techniques, and he combined the two. And beginning in about 1785, he embarked on a quest to uh, create a compound that would have anesthetic properties. And he came up with something that was actually pretty successful. The compound was uh, composed of extracts of several different plants. On October 13, 1804, he performed a partial mastectomy for breast cancer on a 60-year-old woman named uh, Ken Aya, using this potion as a general anesthetic. It is generally regarded today as the first reliable documentation of an operation to be performed using general anesthesia.
1: Oh, wow. The, the word potion to me mm. always sounds like... You know, hibbity-jibbity. Yeah. I don't, I guess, I don't know. What is potion? What's the definition of potion? A liquid with healing, magical, or poisonous properties. See, yeah. So it always, I guess it could apply to healing as well, but it always to me sounds like something that someone in a Disney film would make yeah. up.
0: Just brewing up in a cauldron. right. Before his death in 1835, uh, Hanaoka performed more than 150 operations for breast cancer. Wow! September 1846, William T. G. Morton was the first to administer diethyl ether to Eben Frost, a music teacher from Boston, for a dental extraction. Mm -hmm. This was at the uh, Massachusetts General Hospital. And he became the first to publicly demonstrate the use of ether as a general anesthetic. On October 1846, John Collins Warren removed a tumor from the neck of a local printer, uh, Edward Gilbert Abbott. Upon completion of the procedure, Warren reportedly quipped, "Gentlemen, this is no humbug." News of this event rapidly traveled around the world. So now, at this point, anesthesia was starting to get a little bit of traction, although it was viewed as with some skepticism. Mm-hmm. Sodium triopentol was the first intravenous anesthetic, and that was in 1934. In 1939, the search for a synthetic substitute culminated with the discovery of mepridine, the first opiate with a structure altogether different from morphine.
1: I think I would be real hesitant to be one of the first people to try out something you're putting in my veins.
0: Yeah, let me just plug this in. We're Mm. not really sure what's (laughs) going to happen. It could be good. Or it could be Soup. Or it could be a hearty stew. We don't know yet. All right, so I thought I'd end uh, with something a little more lighthearted. Okay. okay, Because this is some pretty heavy stuff. Here are some experiences Redditors had while on anesthesia. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, This comes from Cushty Kush. I split my head open on a basketball post. I was rushed to uh, emergency where they glued as opposed to stitched my head back together. I was put on gas, 50% nitrous oxide, 50% oxygen. I was 14 at the time. My mom was there. And then the most trippy shit started happening. My mom was holding my hand while the operation was ongoing. And she had one hand by her side, except now she had two hands on the bed and one still by her side. In my drug-fueled slur, I managed to say, Mom, you have two hands? Mom responded, Yes, Joe, that's right. I said, No, you really do have two hands. And she said, When have I had any less? At this point, I gave up. Fifteen minutes later, the operation was finished. For the next couple of weeks, between resting and picking at my glue scabs, I wondered about the mysterious third hand. I wondered if I had been tripping out. This was 2004. In 2010, my mom asked me if I remembered our conversation about the third arm. Still remember the third arm thing from when you hurt your head? I said, sure. But like you said, I was seeing things. So, Mom said, well, I thought I'd tell you now. Seeing as you might be able to laugh about it, it was a prosthetic limb I found in the same room, and I was just doing that to mess with your head. That's good mother in there. From Redditor Ephesus, my husband had just come back from having an endoscopy done, checking for ulcers. Still out of it, he loudly slurred, There was a blonde back there who was really pretty nice looking. Big rack. I love you, but I'd hit that. <laughs> Now, my my guy is always respectful and never makes comments like that. So, you know, I I cut him some slack. Sure. From Redditor, PM me, single girls. I had emergency gallbladder surgery the week of Christmas. The nurse, nurse woke me up and said, wake up. We took your gallbladder out. I said, you did what? She immediately looked at the chart to verify. Then she asked me what I thought I was there for. And I said, you're supposed to give me a bigger dick.
1: Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah, I bet all those single girls are certainly going to be PMing you.
0: (laughs) A few years ago, I was given propofol through an IV before minor surgery. Before falling asleep, the last thing I remember was, isn't propofol the drug they gave Michael Jackson before he overdosed and died? You
1: know it is.
0: When I finally came to, my nurse mentioned that uh, I'd been impersonating the King of Pop with various grunts and Michael Jackson's, hee-hee, and (laughs) shamal. (laughs) (laughs) let's leave it on that shall we yeah that's
1: nice i imagine that would be uh delightful if you had no point of reference and so you didn't know that he was thinking about the propofol and you're just working on this surgery as you do doop 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 doop, 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 and then he's just (laughs) i
0: had a i had a strange experience when i had my tonsils out when i was 11 years old and this was back when anesthesia was new. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. I don't know what they gave me. They put a gas mask on my face. That's all, all I know. And I had these very, very vivid, realistic dreams that I traveled outside the hospital. I flew across town
2: mm-hmm.
0: and saw my, my house, my childhood home from above. And I flew into it. And my mom and dad were in bed. Uh-oh. Then I just kind of, no, 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 that's no, no. My parents never did that. Okay. But then I flew around the house and I flew all around the neighborhood and I flew under the house at one point, oh. like through a crawl space. It was oh. very vivid. When I came to the next, the next day, my, uh, my dad and mom came to visit and my dad was worried about me because he woke up in the middle of the night. And saw me standing, he said, beside the bed.
1: Interesting. Isn't that interesting?
0: Yeah. I don't know. You draw your own conclusions. So how about that anesthesia, huh?
1: <laughs> that was really interesting and horrible.
0: Yeah. Horrible and interesting. Yeah. That's that's what I'm going for.
2: And now, the Box of Oddities brings you that thing in the middle.
1: Now for that... In the middle, uh-huh. from Strange History, Strange Series, the Box of Oddities presents Bunnies in the Oven. In
0: 1726, an English housewife named Mary Toft told an unbelievable tale. She convinced doctors that she'd given birth to a litter of stillborn rabbits. This was in front of a midwife and a doctor, no less. An investigation was conducted by the surgeon to King George I. His conclusion? Toft was telling the truth. The surgeon even went so far as to publish a medical report about her, and people all over the United Kingdom were so sympathetic to her case, they stopped eating rabbit stew. Toft's explanation? While she was pregnant, She got startled by a rabbit and therefore dreamed of rabbits. She craved rabbit meat and was tempted to chase them around. Now, it wasn't such a far-fetched story in the 1700s. People believed that a pregnant woman's thoughts and actions could directly affect her baby's characteristics. Sadly, Toft was lying and it eventually came to light that in a bid for fame and fortune, she had bribed people to bring her dead rabbits which she actually hid inside her body and then pretended to deliver the public was reportedly furious at the ruse the medical community was embarrassed and authorities were eager to punish her the result toft went to prison for four months after a court exposed her as a cheat Yeah, that's not where you want to put roadkill, I'm thinking.
1: I think, in addition to jail time, probably some medical treatment Mm. is necessary. Yeah. Do, no, that's not where, that's not a storage spot. (laughs) It's not for, that's not what it's for.
2: The Box of Oddities with Kat
0: and Jethro Gilligan Toth. You've heard us talk about how. Kat and I deal with anxiety issues. I've been diagnosed with uh, social anxiety disorder, and it can be a real struggle.
1: And sometimes it feels like with everything that's going on in everyday life, in addition to our additional struggles, we're going to grab on to any advantage we can find.
0: The people at Calm, the Calm app, C-A-L-M, contacted us and said, we'd like to partner with the Box of Oddities. And we were thrilled because we've both been using the Calm app. I've been using it for about eight months and got you into it. And it really, really does make a big difference.
1: It's no wonder it's the number one app for sleep, meditation and relaxation it was even named apple's 2017 app of the year
0: there are a lot of different functions on the calm app Mm -hmm. there are sleep stories we love those they're beautifully narrated uh, stories that you can listen to while you fall asleep and there are hundreds to choose from
1: it's like a toolbox to help you live
0: it keeps you calm it helps you manage stress and that's only good for you
1: and in many different ways, there are masterclass options. So you can delve into different topics or something as simple as breathing techniques.
0: Mm. The guided meditations are great for issues like anxiety or stress or focus, even relationships. We have a, a friend who's going through a, a difficult divorce and he swears by this app. He says, this is app has really helped me through some difficult times
1: and he's not like a new agey kind of guy meditation can be for everyone
0: it's about taking care of yourself
1: self-care guys it's important
0: for a limited time the box of oddities listeners can get 25 percent off a calm premium subscription at com slash box that's c-a-l-m com slash box
1: It includes unlimited access to all of Calm's amazing content. Get started today at calm.com/slash/box. That's calm.com/slash/box.
0: <laughs> C-A-L-M dot com slash box. Save twenty five percent of a Calm premium subscription. We really think you'll love it. Thumbs up, yo. You got your box. You got your oddities. Talk
2: about your perfect storm. This is The Box of Oddities.
0: And so that brings us to your turn, my love.
1: Okay. Okay. On November 10th, 1955, Gerald Douglas, captain of the merchant ship Tuvalu, spotted a ship partially submerged and listing heavily. He had come across... The MV Joyita, a ship missing for five weeks in the South Pacific, and there was no sign of the 25 crew and passengers that had been on board.
0: Ooh, ghost ship story.
1: Ghost ship ship story. All right, so, okay. So, let me tell you about the MV Joyita. October 3rd, 1955, Joyita left Samoa's Apia Harbor, bound for the Tokalu Islands, which were about 270 miles away. The boat had been scheduled to leave on the noontide the previous day, but her departure was delayed because her port engine clutch failed. So Joyita eventually left Samoa on one engine. She was carrying 16 crew members and nine passengers, including a government official, a doctor, a World War II surgeon, a copper buyer, and two children.
0: A copper buyer? I don't know, I just felt like I needed to say it in a weird accent. Okay. Copper buyer. Go ahead.
1: That's fine. The voyage was expected to take between 41 and 48 hours. The ship's cargo consisted of medical supplies timber, 80 empty 45-gallon oil drums, and various foodstuffs. She was scheduled to return with a cargo of copra. So let me tell you a little bit about this ship. It was a 69-foot wooden ship built in 1931 as a luxury yacht by the Wilmington Boatworks in Los Angeles for movie director Roland West, whose name is pronounced Roland, not Roland. (laughs) So he named the ship for his wife, who is an actress, and her name was Jewel. And so Joyita in Spanish means little Jewel. The ship was sold in 1936, did some tootling around San Francisco and down to Mexico on several occasions. And then in 1941, she was purchased by the U.S. Navy and taken to Pearl Harbor, where she was outfitted as a yard patrol boat. The Navy used her to patrol the big island of Hawaii until the end of World War II, in 1943, she ran aground and was heavily damaged, but the Navy was in need of ships, so she was repaired. The Navy sold the Joyeta in 1948, and she had several owners after that until, in 1952, Dr. Catherine Luamala, a professor at the University of Hawaii, bought her. She chartered the boat to her friend, Captain Thomas H. Miller, a British-born sailor living in Samoa. So Miller used the ship as a trading and fishing charter boat. So the Joyeta was scheduled to arrive in the Tokalu Islands, October 5th. On October 6th, a message from the porch reported that the ship was overdue. No ship or land-based operator reported receiving a distress signal from the crew. A search and rescue mission was launched from the 6th of October to the 12th of October. Wow. The people who were doing the searching, which included the Royal New Zealand Air Force, covered probably nearly 100,000 square miles of ocean during that search. Good Lord. But no sign of Joyita, nor any of her passengers or crew, was found. Five weeks later, Captain Gerald Douglas, en route from Suva to Funafuti, sighted.
0: That's just a fun name.
1: Right, it sounds like Funfetti Cake, and suddenly I really want cake. So he sighted the Joyita more than 600 miles west from her scheduled route, drifting north. So as I mentioned, she was listing heavily. Her port rail was awash. And barnacle growth, high above the usual waterline on the port, showed that uh, Joyita had been listing heavily for some time. There was, of course, as I mentioned, no trace of any passengers or crew. And four tons of cargo were also missing.
0: So so the cargo was gone, too. That's weird.
1: Joyita carried a dinghy and three life rafts, but all were missing. She didn't carry enough life jackets for everyone on board, which uh, that's a big no-no as mm-hmm. far as boats are concerned. Mm-hmm. The starboard engine was found to be covered by mattresses. While the port engine's clutch was still partially disassembled, showing that the vessel was still running on only one engine. Hmm. An auxiliary pump had been rigged in the engine room, mounted on a plank of wood slung between two main engines, Um, but that pump hadn't been connected. So it looked like maybe someone had done some work, but hadn't completed their task. The radio on board was tuned to the International Distress Channel, but when the equipment was inspected, a break was found in the cable between the set and the aerial. Now, I don't understand any of what that means, um, so I did some more reading. And that means basically that that would have limited the range of the radio to about two miles.
0: Okay, all right.
1: The electric clocks on board had stopped all at 1025 and the switches for the cabin lighting and navigation lights were on, implying that whatever had happened had happened during the night. The ship's logbook, sextant, mechanical chronometer, and other navigational equipment, as well as all the firearms that Miller kept on the boat, were missing. Hmm. A doctor's bag was found on deck, containing a stethoscope, a scalpel, and four lengths of bandages, all soaked in blood.
0: Okay, this is getting weird because up to this point, I'm thinking, okay, there were some problems with the mechanical nature of the ship. It was working on one engine. It starts listing. They get in their rafts. They go. And maybe some pirates saw it afterwards and came aboard and stole all of the the cargo.
1: Still a good theory. Yeah. I mean, we don't know. There was still fuel in Joyita's tanks, and from the amount used, it was calculated that she had made it about 243 miles before her engine stopped. And that was just 50 miles short of the island that they were heading oh to. Oh, God. So, although she was found with her lower decks flooded and she was listing, her hull was sound. Because of one of her uses in the past, uh, used as a refrigerated shipping container thing, Mm -hmm. um, she had been refurbished. So most of her interior hull was covered in cork. So she was virtually unsinkable. Oh, interesting. So Joyita was brought to shore. An inquiry into the situation found that the vessel was in poor state of repair, yes, but determined that the fate of the passengers and crew was inexplicable on the evidence submitted at the inquiry. Especially perplexing was that the three life rafts that Joyita carried were missing, but it wouldn't make any sense for the crew and passengers to abandon the vessel. Because, as I mentioned, she was fitted for carrying refrigerated cargo, the... Cubic feet of cork lining her holds made her unsinkable. There was like something like 640 cubic feet of oh. cork. I mean, so it was, Yeah, there was, you would have had to really work to sink that ship. It's
0: a giant cork.
1: Pretty much. In addition, the empty fuel drums, 80, 45 gallon fuel drums that were empty would have provided additional buoyancy.
0: Were they still there?
1: No, they, they were missing. That's
0: what I thought. Yeah. yeah. Okay.
1: But... At what point they became missing, we don't know. The inquiry also placed much of the responsibility for the events on the captain, Miller. They found him reckless for setting out on an ocean-going voyage with only one engine and numerous minor faults, and negligent for failing to provide a working radio or properly equipped equipped lifeboat. He was also in breach of maritime law since he allowed Joyita's license to carry... Fair pa- since he had allowed Joyita's license to carry fair-paying passengers to lapse. So yeah, I mean he had made some uh, mistakes, but that doesn't explain what happened no. at all. Given the fact that the hull of Joyita was sound and her design made her almost unsinkable, a main concern of investigators was determining why the passengers and crew didn't stay on board if the events were simply triggered by the flooding of an sure, engine room. Sure, exactly. In July 1956, Joyita was auctioned off by her owners to David Simpson. He refitted and overhauled her, and she went to sea again later that year. But there were a lot of legal disputes over the transfer of her registry from the U.S. to Britain without permission. And in January 1957, she ran aground while carrying 13 passengers. She was repaired again, and in October 1958, began a regular trade between a couple of islands. She ran aground again in November 1959, floated off a reef that she had run into, assisted by high tide, but while heading for port, began to take on water through a split seam. The pumps were started to to get the water out of the, the boat, but it became clear that the valves for the pump had been installed the wrong way. Oh, no. So water was being pumped into the hull no. and not out.
0: That would be bad.
1: So now, this ship's garnering quite a reputation as an unlucky ship. And with a damaged hull, she was abandoned by her owners and beached. She was stripped of useful equipment and was practically a hulk, which I had to look up. Um, and a hulk just means a ship that will stay afloat but is not seaworthy. Okay. So she was then purchased by Robin Mogham, who wrote a book called The Joyita Mystery. Um, He sold the Hulk in 1966 to Major J. Castling cotting who ran a tourist and publicity bureau. Um, Then he planned to turn it into a museum and tea room, but that plan never saw daylight. And eventually the Hulk was kind of piece by piece disassembled until it eventually just disintegrated in the 70s.
0: So there are pieces of it but it no longer exists Exactly Are those pieces haunted? We don't know Bob mm. Bob Bob I hope so
1: So there are obviously questions surrounding what happened I mean because what happened there are some that believe that the captain Miller and his first mate had some issues mm-hmm. and that they got into an argument. The captain was injured in some way and then um because he was injured, he was not able to alert the crew and passengers when the ship started to take on water that the that it wouldn't sink. I see and so that they freaked out, got on the lifeboats and took off. His being incapacitated in some way is the only way that their abandoning ship makes sense. Makes any
0: sense. And there were bloody bandages on the de- on the deck, so that kind of fits together. And they never found any of them.
1: They never found any of them. And the cargo was all missing and they wouldn't have taken all of the cargo with them
0: no no that's why i thought maybe pirates after they had abandoned ship came by and just pilfered the uh, the goods
1: and that's very possible
0: but none of it showed up anywhere that they found like on the black market or anything <laughs> that's
1: right okay and there are some that believe that when the water when the ship started taking on water that the cargo was tossed overboard in an effort to kind mm-hmm. of rebalance the mm-hmm.
0: ship that makes sense
1: it does Except for, again, unless the captain had been killed or injured in such a way that made him unable to share the, hey, there's cork in the hull. Yeah. Um,
0: Stay with the cork.
1: Stay with the cork. Why wasn't anyone discovered? No sign of lifeboats. No sign of the passengers. No sign of the cargo.
0: That's weird. They just disappeared off the face of the earth.
1: Right. And um, I did read about... Several theories, but none of the theories explained why an engine would be covered in mattresses.
0: That is odd. No, this was the working engine or the non-functioning engine?
1: The working engine.
0: Was covered with a mattress.
1: Multiple mattresses.
0: Multiple mattresses.
1: Mattress i
0: If you will. Why would they do that? Uh muffle sound? Was it belching smoke and they thought maybe it would block the smoke from I don't know. That's weird. I have to I have to think on that. I know, aliens.
1: <laughs> there are a lot of theories on it. In 2002, there was a guy who wrote a book and he had said that he had solved the mystery of it. And the article that I read said that he wasn't sharing, you know, the, the, the answer until his book had been
0: published. Sure.
1: And that was in 2002.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I didn't really see much follow up on that. Mm-hmm. So apparently the mystery has not been solved.
0: Aliens and mattresses. That's my official explanation.
1: It's a good one. It's a good one. So that's it. The mystery of the MV Joyita.
0: That is fascinating. I, I, I've i always been fascinated by stories like that. The Mary Celeste and these ships that just the entire crew has, has dematerialized, just vanished. And yet, in some cases, the ships are just totally functional. There doesn't seem to be anything amiss, except... The crew is missing. Mm. So that just fascinates me. I got to dig into that. Alien mattresses. There's nothing there.
1: Is that a clue in itself?
0: You're messing with my head now.
1: Also wanted to mention, most of this information came from Reddit and, of course, Wikipedia. Which I made my donation stop bugging
0: me. Back off Wikipedia. The Box of Oddities is twice a week. We enjoy hearing from you. Curator at theboxofoddities.com. Don't forget. Don't forget. You can get merch.
1: I did see that somebody had ordered one of the um, iPhone cases with the freak flag on it. Nice. And I think that's what I... uh, I haven't been able to decide upon a phone case, and I think that's what I'm going to go with, too. I think it's a good choice.
0: You can find our merch page by going to theboxofoddities.com. Well, that's it for this episode. We will see you on Monday.
1: Until then, keep flying that freak flag.
0: Fly it proudly,
2: beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that The Box of Oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands the box of oddities commits to the telling of stories stories of the strange the bizarre the unexpected we wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage the box of oddities.com on facebook at facebook.com slash box of oddities podcast on Twitter at Box of Oddities and Instagram at Box of Oddities Podcast. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved.
1: Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well look no further and join me, Katie Charlwood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books, as I delve into unsolved historical mysteries, murders by
0: gaslight. And, of course, women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
1: All you need is a few minutes to start your day off with something historic when you listen to the This Day in History podcast. Every day there's a new episode for you to listen and learn about what happened that day way back when. So listen and subscribe to This Day in History, wherever you get your podcasts. That's This Day in History, wherever you get your podcasts.